0: Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and I'm very delighted to have a uh, special guest uh, this morning because today's business at hand is the business of creating a new chapter in one's life that is a story of improved performance or goal achievement or just achieving a better balance in your life and my guest today might uh, might call it and in fact it's the title of his new book uh, Live the Best Story of Your Life with the subtitle a World Champions Guide to Lasting Change uh, and I'm very pleased to have back on the program um, Bob Litwin. Bob, welcome to the business hour.
1: Hey Ron. Good to hear your voice this morning. You're a little uh, distant. I can't hear all that clearly.
0: Okay, well, we're going to beef up the volume a little bit. Uh, is that better? Oh, yeah, that's good. Okay.
1: That's good. Well, you've got that sweet voice, you know, that smooth sound. i got to hear it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, that's very kind of you. Um, uh, I don't necessarily think of it that way. But uh, <laughs> before you uh, share any perspectives on the book itself, I, I want... Uh, to share with listeners that uh, you have won numerous national and world championships, both as a singles and doubles tennis player, uh, 18 U.S. national championships to be exact, and you've also been a number one ranked world senior player. And basically, for anyone who has uh, struggled to win a school, uh, a a city, league, conference, club, uh, or regional championship in any sport, that's really no easy feat, and so, Bob, for that alone, uh, you're a man who has uh, achieved a great deal, but it's along the way that uh, you learned some lessons that were well beyond uh, the game of tennis, And, and it's some of those lessons that you share uh, with, with readers. And so I want to go back to when the skill, the acquisition of skills, the discipline, uh, a, a, a positive mindset, uh, and, and being a tough competitor, what were the earliest seeds? When did you have an inkling that you actually were learning Lessons that went beyond the tennis court?
1: Well, I've been a, a teacher for a lot of years. I was a school teacher for a couple of years, and then I ended up becoming, through a series of changes in my life, I became a tennis teacher. And when you teach, you learn a lot. Uh, and I was teaching people that uh, tennis, and I was teaching basic technique and strategy, those things that I would read about or hear about, uh, see other coaches doing, and I wasn't really noticing that people were improving as quickly as I thought, considering how frequently they were taking lessons, and I just started to notice that there were, there were things that I was saying to them that were just a part of like the alchemy between the teacher and student that seemed to make more difference, things that, and this is like in the 1970s things like you need to be more positive which is you know, sports psychology 101 but at that time it was still like people didn't think that way necessarily um, or I would say well you have to you know work with patience or you you know like you're doing better than you were doing yesterday you're getting better you're improving so I guess m- the answer to that is I was discovering these lessons as I was teaching them and then When I decided to start competing, which was in my late 20s, early 30s, I went out there and I was trying to use basic tennis skills to do well, and I had good tennis skills, but I couldn't win. So at that point, I started to take a look at what was making a difference for others, those people I was teaching, and started to apply them to my own game. So I basically started to notice that there were certain ways of thinking that interfered with me doing well, like being negative, as an example. And I would train that out of my system. At first, through willpower, just like talking to myself positively, even though I was not really believing it, but I was training it in, until after a while, just like a better forehand is formed with practice, I've developed a better mindset with practice. So it goes back to my teaching, which really helped me learn what I was teaching. And many years ago, after I'd done well in one particular world championships, somebody threw a party for me, it was pretty cool, it was nice, and all my clients were there and I said to them, you know what, really, it's about all of you, because everything I said to you, I needed to do. I needed to walk my talk. One person said to me, really, well, I think you should pay me what I paid you then, so uh, you know, it's been a long journey of learning, more teaching it, getting better at it myself. It's and, a gift for me.
0: And, and Bob, when was it uh, a, along that path? Um, and and I, I don't know if there was a specific moment, uh, uh, aha moment uh, of enlightenment. But when did you realize that you should begin structuring, or at least putting down? Uh, on paper and eventually collecting a combination of those lessons that would later uh, form the basis of of your book
1: well at the very very beginning of when I was teaching I was noticing I was saying things to people that were making some difference uh, and they were spontaneous they were sort of reactive comments that I would be making and it was many years ago, like maybe two or three or four
2: years into how you I got a, so, I got
1: go a notebook. And I, I started this notebook saying, I better write stuff down at the end of the day because by three days from now, I might, even rem- might not remember what it is. And I still have that notebook. Um, and it's not that that was the formation of the book. It's that the work that I was doing just required me to create some sort of plan that would help people become more effective at using their mind when they were trying to do well at things. So I made notes. I always had notes. Um, but But in particular, there was a match that I was playing where it really came through for me. I was like, winning against a very good player and then i lost like i don't know 10 games in a row i was down five love in the third after i was a shot away from winning the match in the second set and i was really tense throughout that whole third set and when it was five love he was up 40 love serving and i thought to myself oh well whatever i have nothing to lose at this point i've lost this match and i just kind of was free for a point and I was like, oh, that was fun. And I was free for another point, and I won three points in a row. ended up winning that game somehow. Long story short, I still lost that. I came back to losing at 6-4. But afterwards, I was driving home, and I said to my wife, you know, this tension that I'm playing with, if this is what's going on for me, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to play these tournaments. And it was the beginning of me really deciding that I have to be this different person. I need a different story. And it was the beginning of me becoming a relaxed tennis player that freed me up to have better success. You know, Bob. That's about my tennis. I mean, this is my whole life. I I try and I have a lot of work to do in my life still, in a lot of ways, to be the best version of myself. But I want to be, and I take it on. Uh, The book helped me a lot.
0: Well, one of the things, yeah, that you point out in the book uh, are that. Uh, we should be conscious of things around us, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, so that we all become students for the rest of our lives. You know, just more astute uh, uh, observers and <clears throat> tuned in, if you will, to the, the the lessons that are all around us. And I, I want to read a paragraph before we we, we continue, Bob, uh, because this is pretty high praise from uh, Barbara Benedict, uh, the screenwriter credited with uh, *The Big Chill*, *Pretty Woman*. Sabrina, uh, a very accomplished uh, woman in her own right, and she writes, Bob Litwin's written a wonderful book about how to get more out of one's life and be happier. He suggests storytelling as a route to personal growth. His approach seems impossibly simple, but it was informed by years of work, practice, and living a full life as a husband, father, champion tennis pro, and corporate coach, The message is that we need to change the stories we've been telling ourselves about who we are and replace them with stories about who we hope to become. This is a very original and user-friendly book with dozens of anecdotes about the author and the people with whom he's worked. From mindfulness to gratitude journals to mentors to naps, Litwin coaches us through this process with enthusiasm and optimism. And that's that's really... uh. I, I thought it was a very uh, uh, elegant, eloquent uh, characterization uh, of what you do, and and to go a, a step further, because writing the book itself was a big chapter in your life, and for all the aspiring authors out there, all the people who who are looking to have as one of their next chapters. Uh, maybe a book uh, could be fiction, nonfiction, whatever, from that first stage of you beginning to record some of those lessons, to put them down on paper, not necessarily knowing that it might turn into a book, or maybe you had that perception early on. But, you know, people need to understand, you get an idea for a book maybe, and it doesn't come out in a month or two. So how long from that first Moment when you realize, boy, I can assemble some of these lessons, and I can write a book that I can share with people. How, how long was that that process?
1: No, oh, it was really quick—five years. <laughs> <laughs> there, Five there you years. go. Yes, but it did, But but actually, and maybe this is for those people who love to write a book. A lot of people want to write a book. They have something to say, and um, I didn't really know. I I knew I wanted to write a book and I had failed several times earlier in my life, three or four unfinished books on my shelf still. Um, But uh, there was a catalyst in my life where basically my kids said to me, like, okay, it's time to write the book. And I was like, what book? (laughs) And they were like, all the lessons um, that you talked about. But I honestly thought when I first took on this, idea at that point in my life, this was about, you know, 2010, um, this is going to be a tennis book. It's going to be really a compilation of the journals that I've written about my experiences when I play a tournament, which I do. Every time I play a tournament, I write every day. It's part of the tournament for me. And I am transparent. And also it really helps me as a player, as well as provide some insights for people. I thought it was going to be a tennis book, and then I thought it was going to be about loss because uh, my my wife had passed away. And then it was about, as it was just developing, it became more about welcoming adversity. And then when I was writing about welcoming adversity, I realized, well, wait, this is more about what I talk to people about, like accepting the the world as it is, and how do we manage it? And I started the write more about my coaching method and the experiences I've had with lots of great people over the years. Uh, And it became maybe two years and it became the title, Live the Best Story of Your Life. And uh, then, you know, for the next few years, it just was an extraordinary experience of me being forced to really get clear on my own process, which is a wonderful experience. When people write about what they do well, and I think I did it well, you get much better at it. Uh, There's
0: a a, a great writer. um, Hold that thought, Bob. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to start with that very uh, thought. Uh, uh, We're here with Bob Litwin, author of Live the Best Story of Your Life. We'll be back with Bob Litwin right after this break.
2: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved.
3: or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for
0: listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Bob Litwin, uh, world champion tennis player, uh, author of the book, a... Um, Live the Best Story of Your Life, subtitled A Guide to Lasting Change, A World Champion's Guide to Lasting Change, and we were talking before the break about how Bob was, uh, it was pointed out to you that by family members that, hey, it's time to take those lessons that you've been uh, collecting and put it uh, in a a, a book format, and you were telling us that it took five years to to create the book, which is actually a number I've heard from a number of authors that... uh, time to germinate, time to organize, time to write and edit, and, and then five years later you have a book. But you were also, just before the break, going to share something, uh, I think it might have been something pointed out to you uh, by another author?
1: Well, I would like to say it was pointed out to me by him. I haven't met him, but Josh Waitskin was the actual young chess player who was the t- was famous for the movie Searching for Bobby Fisher. He was a young boy, whatever. He, he won... Um, eight world championships in chess and then became also a world champion martial artist. And he was asked, and he's like in his late 30s now, he's basically a performance coach. I define him as that. Uh, And he wrote a book called The Art of Learning. He was asked uh, in an interview like, so how how did you become like a world champion in two different things, two different unique things, chess and martial arts? And his answer was, um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I just kind of got into both of those things. and got good at them. But when he sat down to write the book, he realized, I should write a book about this. He discovered his process as he was writing it. Because when you have to explain how you get from A to B, then you learn how you get from A to B. And then you can actually do it on purpose in other ways. So for me when i wrote the book i was already you know pretty busy being a performance coach on wall street and still working with athletes and whatnot and i was good but most of my work was really reactive it's not that it was bad it was just that it was all just coming spontaneously once i had to write the book and organize it it just it clarified everything for me i mean i just i i believe i got a lot better as a result of writing the book and i encourage people whether it's in sports or business or personal, to write. Because I don't mean write a book, but write about why you're good when you're good. What are you doing when you're good? Well, um, And that, that can be your story.
0: And I want to take another moment to read another a section, and I don't mean to overhype the book, uh, but y- you've really got some wonderful, and I, I should point out to listeners that if you get the book, uh, you can see there are some really glowing uh, testimonials up front, and and in the, your forward, where you were working with uh, Joel Greenblatt, who's a head fudge manager, uh, a best-selling author, the adjunct professor, uh, and an adjunct professor at Columbia University Graduate School of Business, and founder of Gotham uh, Capital. He he writes about taking tennis lessons for 25 years with you. And uh, goes on to say, it's just that, as it turns out, for all those years spent on the court, I really wasn't taking tennis lessons. Of course, in some sense, I was. But in pretty short order, I began to realize that tennis was just a vehicle for the real learning. What does it take to keep improving, to be in the moment, to stay focused, to understand your mission, to redefine winning? Believe me, that one came in handy. To overcome adversity, to change your story, to write a new story. And how can you do that right now? Not next month. Not next week, now. And I think that that's another uh, elegant, eloquent uh, characterization uh, of what uh, your book shares uh, with with readers. And I and I want to jump right in. And, and your book is organized in in three parts. It's part one, out with the old story, in with the new. Part two has. 33 personal coaching sessions for living your best story and part three is the story still to come and uh here uh bob in in the story that changed my life and reading uh that paragraph uh you have uh, i'm young i am strong i am not alone uh it's 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 a very uh powerful uh setup to to the book um uh, can you pick it up from there I am young, I am strong sure. I am not alone
1: yeah sure, first of all I would do want to say that you know, Barbara Benedek is eloquent uh, a beautiful writer and I was touched by what she wrote uh, Joel an uh, unbelievable person and when I read the foreword that he wrote I called him up, I said you know what I don't even need to write this book <laughs> now that you've, you've said this about me that I have that impact on you it's like My life is good So You hear things From other people You don't know Necessarily how they feel About the work You've done with them But I'm You know I feel You know Very blessed to have People that have Felt really good About some of the stuff That I've done Um, So Yeah I mean The story that changed my life I mean There probably were a lot of them But I guess the greatest catalyst In my life Was that My wife Carol died of cancer And I had just been through a hip surgery that failed, and I had just basically right around the same time that she passed away, I was told by the docs that this failure of my hip surgery needed to be redone, and it was likely that I was not going to be able to play competitive tennis anymore, certainly not singles and doubles in the same day for four or five or six days in a row, and I was basically, you know, in a really, uh, in a pretty negative state for those, that first period after hearing that, what had just happened as well, and my, I was basically kind of like, I'm old, I'm, I'm uh, you know, how am I going to go through surgery again, I'm alone, I'll never play tennis again, this is what was going through my mind, I mean, like, what am I going to do, who am I going to be, and I was, basically, I, I had an experience of, like, looking in the mirror and seeing the story that I was telling myself which was a really bad story and just kind of like I heard um, in my mind the words what would you tell a client and the answer was really clear to me like you need a new story and I was talking to myself so I did go down, go into my office and I sat down and I wrote a new story a better story I'm young I'm strong I'm not alone I've been through Rehab once, I'm a master at it. Uh, I was told I couldn't play tennis before and I managed to do it. Uh, I have a lot of love in my, in my system and I'm a vessel for love. I mean, I will have a a, a good life. And when I wrote it, it was not where I was. And that's one of the things about writing stories. The story of who you currently are is real. The story of who you aspire to be is whatever you want to call it, it's a dream or it's an intention or it's a goal whatever people want to call it is fine, I call it a story but once I had that story in front of me it was difficult for me to just default back to the bad story, so that's what kind of got me taking a step like calling doctors about a new surgery, it got me to say yes to going out to dinner with some friends rather than just staying home and step by step, the new story was drawing me in the direction of the new story and pulling me away from the old story. And once the momentum started, it became something that turned into where I am now, which is um, I remarried. I'm in love with an incredible person. I, I moved to Colorado. My business is growing quickly as much as I don't want more business at this point. Uh, My tennis is better than it's been in years and years and years. I'm still winning. I'm playing. So unfortunately, the story that changed my life was a pretty crummy thing that happened. But my approach to it helped me to understand that not just in tennis matches a good story will work, but in anything. And that flipping a story quickly for me is the key to moving forward and growing in my life which i hope to continue doing for as long as i'm alive i want to get better every day
0: well you know it's 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 evident that throughout this book you credit a lot of people and in fact that uh in in the epilogue of the book you you uh you mention a lot of people um that that you credit with for in a sense uh inspiring you and in and in uh, that same paragraph where you start, I am young, I am strong, I am not alone, which is you beginning to write your own uh, new chapter, you, you talk about the inspiration of your your wife Carol uh, pushing through chemo and radiation, and that later you went through your own surgery and, and rehab. And so... In the book, there are, uh, is a discussion of how adversity uh, can play a role, but it definitely played a role in in, in your life and in uh, that, uh, that phase where you realize, hey, I've been through a lot, I've managed it uh, well, being inspired by others dealing with adversity, and... Uh, and, and and you you, you go on uh, in chapter two. You you talk about how to make change easy, which is something that people wrestle with. You know, everybody wants a simple solution, and it's not an, an entirely simple solution. But but you can, in some uh, manner, characterize it as making change easy. And you open with a John Wooden quote, the famous uh, UCLA basketball coach: "Failure is not fatal." But failure to change might be tell, tell us why you selected that
1: well I've got like so many books of John Wooden and quotes from him that I could have put any of uh, any number of them in this particular one is sort of addressing people who feel that if they're failing it's like it's the end you can't do anything about it and I think that it may not even address specifically the idea of how change can be easy, but it does address the idea that not changing can leave you in a space that's really ineffective in your life or in a particular thing in your life, whether it's about not playing good tennis or not making good trades on Wall Street or not managing a sick child, whatever, I mean, whatever, in the whole range. But I will say that when I say change is easy, I feel that change is easy, and I've been told over the years, for many years, you can't say that to people, and I say, I can say that, and the reason that I feel that change is easy is because I changed my own personal story about change. The story that I have been brought up with, and I think that a lot of us are brought up with, is that change is hard, it's painful, it's difficult, it never lasts. Um, I've always been this way. If you've always been a certain way, that's the way you're going to be. You can't really change people. That's a story that we've been sold. I don't know who sold it to us, but many people believe that story. And at least on a personal level and, and also with people I've worked with, by changing this story, it seems to make things flow a lot differently. So I changed this story about change. And the story about change that I have and that I encourage people to have is change is fun. Change is easy. Staying the same feels awful and doesn't get me where I want to get. Change is everything. Change is what we're here for. And change is going on all the time. The universe is constantly in change. We're part of the universe. We're changing in every single moment. And if we have any doubt about that, we just need to look in the mirror every day and see that we might have more lines on our face or we're losing our hair or whatever, or our muscles are not what they were. But we're also changing in other ways without trying. We're really becoming wiser as we get older. We tend to be more accepting. Uh, We tend to have better perspective. These changes are occurring while we're just living life. So I say change is going on all the time. It's more a matter of setting sail and deciding which direction you want to go with it. I think it's harder to stay the same than
0: to change. And, you know, as you said, uh, the universe is constantly changing, and uh, it's one thing to go with the flow, but what you're helping people to do is influence the direction of that flow. And uh, to, to kind of shed a little bit of light on, on, on the process, you help people literally put down in writing um, some of the things that have been barriers before they start writing the new story you're you're helping them to wrap their arms around and get their head around some of the 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 barriers that that burdened them in the past and and in the present and you have a a chapter carved in stone written in blood the no qu- quit contract that will save your life but then you go on in chapter 4 to the beast before the bounty the story you no longer can afford to tell tell us about that
1: well, um, when, I, when I meet with people or people email me or call me up or whatever, usually they start telling me about, well, of course, they're calling me for a reason. It might be work or personal or sport. And they start to tell me why it is that they're not better. Like, you know, my team is not that good You know, at work. My team is not that good, and I have to micromanage them. So even a simple statement like that—that's what I would call an old story, or or the story that you're currently living. Or um, I was meeting with somebody yesterday who was telling me that um, he wrote his story, um, and he thinks he's got it, you know, pretty well clear. But he keep he says, but then I keep sliding backwards. So, okay, the sliding backwards, the fact that you have a story that you're sliding backwards is a story. It's not that it's not true, but does that mean there isn't an opportunity to write a different story that might be a better story, like um, change is an iterative process. It doesn't just go straight up, that it's an experience of starting at one and getting to two and then sliding back to one and a half and then going up to three, but you rarely go back to where you started. So... It's, it's very helpful that you know where you're starting initially, and that's what the beast is, and the bounty is the new story. Um, if you know where you are now, I can form the basis for whatever new story you want, even if the new story feels crazy.
0: And does that, you know,
1: does that answer the question? I'm yeah, sure, sure does.
0: Yeah. In fact, you know, that's all part of part one, out with the old story, in with the new, the beast before the bounty. And later so, on, Ron, I
1: will say excuse me, Ron, I will say people do get really uh, overly excited about writing their new story, and as they're writing their old story they start already putting in the new story. And I'm always saying, you know, write the old story. It doesn't need to be a long narrative. It can just be like four or five lines, uh, a couple of things that you're feeling are not working well in your life, write them and then sit with them for a day or a half a day before you try and do something about it. Because you might look at it and say, "Oh, oh, I really don't want to be this way anymore. I think I might try and change this. Then the new story comes from an open space rather than just kind of being backed right up to the old story you've got to kind of feel a little bit of the beast of the old story and a little of the annoyance and you know look some people have said to me, i couldn't get out of bed the next day after i wrote my old story uh i can't believe that this is my story but sometimes that's what it is for people but when they see it that in and of itself is the beginning of change and it I- starts right there
0: I I recall Bob from a, uh, a talk that you gave uh, at uh, the Tennis Congress, uh, which was held a couple of years back here in Atlanta. Um, you know, you're helping people really put some of their thoughts down on paper. You know, starting maybe with some reflections on what it is that that have have been the old story and some of the old barriers. And I, I you know, people have fear of putting thoughts down on paper. They they think, oh, I'm not. Uh, uh, very communicative. I'm not a good writer. You you take a very non-judgmental approach to helping people just get that out, and yet, you know, as they're telling that story and they become better communicators with themselves, uh, I dare say some folks have uh, cultivated real communication skills. So you know, yeah, you've, that, you you fostered that, that maybe have. more than one or two writers.
1: Could be. I mean, I think that. People do get stuck on the idea of not being a good writer, and I I understand that, and I don't think that there's a... The easiest solution to that is the same thing as when you're resisting anything. You do the thing, and you're no longer resisting. So write it badly, but write it. And another thing, I thought you were going to say this, is that people, they don't want to write their story sometimes because... And this is a specific example. There was a, a young college tennis player that was struggling with, he was a freshman, he was on a scholarship, and he had lost a couple of matches, and he called me up late one night and he said, I think I'm going to lose my scholarship, I'm letting the team down, um, um, uh, my parents are going to like, tell me that they were right and saying I shouldn't have gone to this school, and he had all this stuff going on, you know, I, it was going on for him, and I said, you know, I think you ought to write it down. He's like, no, if I write it down, then I'm going to be thinking about it a lot. And I said, but you already are. You are thinking about it a lot. So if you write it down, one of the cool things about writing, writing stuff down is you can get some distance on it. It's no longer just like this loop in your head, a, a story that's like not working. You see it on a piece of paper, you can almost be detached from it and look at it as somebody else's story. And the thing that's interesting, Ron, is that we're all really great at fixing other people's stories. You know, somebody says like, Oh, I'm worried about losing my scholarship, somebody on the team was one of the teammates could say that's ridiculous. Nobody's ever lost a scholarship as a freshman. But for ourselves, if we keep it inside, it becomes like the like the the uh, monster under our bed when we're eight years old or six years old. It's like it's terrible, it's terrible. But when you look shine light on it, it's not that bad.
0: That's right. And and and, and Also, Bob, I want to say that you set up uh, the beast before the bounty, the beast being the old story and the bounty being the new story, and the beast before the bounty uh, characterizing that old story as a story you you no longer can afford to tell, and and that it won't become that loop that you're constantly uh, hearing in your head. But in that section on coaching lessons for living your best story, I want to create some linkage here. You talk about Dancing with the Beast. Tell us about oh, yeah. about Dancing with the Beast and maybe even a little bit about uh, that one, I, I believe he might have been a hedge fund manager, who, who uh, kind of wore his AADD as uh, some uh, sort of oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, condition that he, he didn't seem to think he could overcome.
1: Yeah, well, uh, this is actually um, somebody who had... Okay, Dancing with the Beast, basically it means you want to get pulling close the things that you keep trying to push away and work with them, and find out something about them that may be another way to look at it. And this one particular person has said to me, well, you know, it's like uh, I have a, a adult attention deficit disorder, and I said, as I often say to people who tell me something that they think is, like, really awful, I said, like, how lucky for you. Like what? Well, how lucky for you that you're in a business where a short attention span with high level of focus is a is a great skill. The fact that this person might not stay too engaged with something for too long is what being a uh, an investor sometimes is. There are different you know lengths of time for investors, but somebody who's more of a trader, it's important that they have a short attention span in a way, that they just pay attention to what they're doing and then it's over and they move on to the next thing. Coincidentally, this person also played tennis. And tennis is another uh, activity where a short attention span can be really helpful because points last anywhere from like a second on a one service return up to maybe like, 12 seconds. A long rally might be 15 seconds. And then you have to be over it quickly. So the mind that works quickly as somebody who might have a DD, they can do really well in certain things, and they may already be doing them. They, in fact, may even have been drawn to certain activities because of that particular uh, description of, of the way in which they operate. You know, There's always... Ron, the thing is, there's always a good story. There is always a good story around anything, even the most bleak, dark experience. To me, I I don't want to overstate this, but going through uh, an illness and a death of of a loved one, it's it's a bad scene. But there was so much there that was so good in that, about me having to go deeper, being a better person than i ever been, uh, feeling a, a deeper level of love than I might ever have felt, feeling that the support of family, um, the having to like constantly be at my best, being forced to be, no option. Look, I would have preferred to have no evolution in a lot of ways and to not have gone through that but that wasn't the choice i had so i i the biggest message I, I i hope comes from this interview is there's always an opportunity for a better story always you may have to look for it you may have to dig for it but it's there
0: you know bob one of the things that you do so well in this book is you you weave, and, and, and you don't make a big deal. You're not going to find the word philosophy or philosophical uh, throughout this book, but you do a, a great job of weaving sort of Western and, and Eastern uh, uh, philosophies, if you will. And in that opening for Dancing with the Beast, you open with uh, two quotes. One is from uh, Kenji Miyazawa. We must embrace pain and burn it as fuel for our journey. And you uh, have another quote from that great American philosopher, Duke Ellington, a problem is a chance for you to do your best.
1: Yeah, I give them a lot of credit for coming up with brilliant comments like that.
0: Yeah, and, and here's another thing I want to share. I mean, this is as good a time as any. In that, those numerous lessons, uh, in those 33 lessons, you you weave... Uh, one lesson into another and you make reference in one lesson about another and at the end of each of those lessons you have what you call session tip uh, and it's the big but and also try this on for size and the big but uh, in that chapter is but I'm afraid that if I keep this up dancing with all this stuff that feels like a burden I will start to burn out and get too tired to move on and then in the section on try it on for size, try on try this on for size. The beast of burnout is the one that threatens everything you're working hard for. When you feel you're headed toward burnout, nap time, <coughs> which is in chapter 26 and I want to touch on that, is one of the best answers. If rest is impossible, remember that if you are worried about burnout, you are usually future tripping. stay in the present and focus <coughs> and you reference that in chapter 16. And on the next step, which is Kaizen and Chapter 13, and that's one that I would like to to segue to, unless you have a comment on that.
1: Well, my comment on it is that the big butt was an idea um, that came out of my publisher saying, you have to have these, like, uh, guidance for people in the book. And I thought, well... I don't want to give people too many things to try and learn i just want them to learn to write the old story and the new story to get on the path so these 33 chapters were basically uh, examples of the alchemy between a, a teacher and a student where when the student falls off the path or loses faith and they have their reasons or as i say the big but hey, but if i do that what this is going to happen so I've sort of—I don't really need to try and anticipate because I've had people say the big but all the time to me, and I've had to have an answer, which I always called, "Well, try this on for size." Um, so, these particular 33 chapters—maybe one of them might be good for somebody, or a lot of them are good for somebody, or some of them might not work for anybody. They're just ways in which people can like kind of get a restart. Ways that they can get back on the horse, so to speak. Bob,
0: using I'm going to. I, I apologize for interrupting you, but we're going to have to take a break and, and we'll come sure. back and talk about the other half of that session, Tip, the uh, Try This On for Size. We're here with Bob Litwin. We've been talking about his book, uh, A World Champion's Guide to Lasting Change, as a subtitle, and Live the Best Story of Your Life is the title of his book. We'll be back with Bob right after this.
4: Passport transport
2: this is lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of things and all the technology in between. It's buzz off with lawyer Liz Wednesdays at 2.
1: Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new i9 rules or if you marry a foreign national. Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net.
3: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the
0: AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with author Bob Litwin and also world champion tennis player who has written uh, the book How to Write the Best Story of Your Life? And uh, it's subtitled uh, Lessons uh, from a World a World Champions Guide to Lasting Change. Uh, Bob, before the break, you were talking about how at the end of each of these thirty three uh, sections or chapters on uh, that that are essentially lessons, you have you close with a session tip, and it's the big butt and the try this on for size. And we talked about the big, but tell us in that section um, uh, on uh, Dancing with the Beast, where you're uh, learning to uh, to dance with those uh, previous uh, barriers, uh, try this on for size. Tell us tell us about that in that chapter.
1: This speci- you mean specifically what the try this on for size of that Dancing with, e- with the Beast is? Yeah, no, the, the, the mean, section on, begin I've, the Beast of Burnout. I I think I threw a lot of things in there because dancing with the beast is not something that people feel that comfortable with so I kind of pulled out as many pieces as I could like get some rest if you're feeling burned out it could be a nap or get in the present because in the present there really are no uh, thoughts that are counterproductive I mean and getting in the present is no easy task but To do something that you've done before, whether it's to observe your breath or to go for a walk or to whatever, take a shower, whatever it is that you do to get in the present, uh, to be aware of the one step at a time that is the way we operate in life. We can't take more than one step at a time. When we do, we trip and stumble and fall. Um, To be okay being patient in the process, that's all... Like I say, things that I would have said to somebody who said, well, you know, I'm getting burned out. I just wouldn't say to somebody, well, don't worry about it. You're not getting burned out. So I give them a lot of possible in the hope that one of those things might
0: stick. Let's take Uh, an example. Uh, Because I know you pointed out to me that Kaizen is is a very important lesson and and it's one step, one step. Tell us, uh, because we're going to link this with that previous uh, uh, discussion about Dancing with the Beast. Tell us what Kaizen is and why one step is important. Well,
1: Kaizen is a, a Japanese word that that means ongoing incremental improvement. And, you know, we... It's a big generalization, I guess, but we in the Western Hemisphere, we do things quickly. We want to do things fast. We want to, like, combine a lot of things like yoga size, yoga exercise. I don't know. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. is one thing. Exercise is something else. But we like to combine things to get more done. Where. <laughs> at least my understanding of what I've read is that Eastern work is different. There's a lot more patience, it's more. it can be more thoughtful, and again, these are generalizations It may not be true to each person. So, to me, Kaizen is an extraordinary attitude and story that we can carry with ourselves as we're trying to improve so that we don't lose faith. That we say, every single day, I'm taking a step that's getting me farther along this path and it takes some pressure off in a world where everything we want things to happen fast change can be really fast and sometimes it might be not as fast as we'd like it to be so if we can fold into who we are an attitude of Kaizen we continue to go forward understanding that yes today I am farther along than I was yesterday and that maybe there'll be a day that I don't move forward, but that there's always the value of the incremental change that we make. Incremental change means means we're moving forward or upwards or wherever whatever the direction is.
0: And, and you also reference uh, uh, nap time and other necessary luxuries as one of the lessons, and that you you've linked. Uh, uh, the value of rest and rejuvenation is something we're starting to to hear more about. You know, uh, you, you, you can't uh, uh, turn on the TV and uh, surf without hearing a little bit about the the value. And you listen to people like uh, 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 you know, quarterback Tom Brady, who talks about the, the value and the importance of, of sleep for the purposes of rejuvenation. You talk about you know taking that break and the the importance of. Of taking that break to the larger progress that you make moving forward.
1: Well, I, I think it's not it's not really new. I think that uh, that I just finished reading a book called *Sapiens*, which is you know not a big big deal, but basically it's the history of mankind. <laughs> it's a big, cool book, and. And it seems like in, in earlier times, earlier um, generations way before us, people were forced to rest because there were no lights. When the, when the sun went down, that was it. And their pr- the productivity of that period of time, even without the same tools and technology of now, seems to be not that much less than what we're producing now. I mean, the volume of stuff we produce now is extraordinary, but also the burnout, the disease, the the number of people that are sick uh, who work overwork all the time. I and mean, I think that the message is there that our bodies need to rest. We are not machines. And I would say, like, for me, at this point in my life, I'm living in Colorado and I, I, I'm still working a lot, but I have a lot more gaps. Uh, that fall into the category of rest and rejuvenation, uh, I know that the quality of my work is so much better. And look, this is, I'm saying this personally. Other people may feel that, no, they can work on four hours sleep. But uh, I'm not a data specialist, but it seems like I read a lot about if it, that sleep may be the greatest um, uh, the lack of sleep is the greatest interference to high performance over a period of time. Yeah, I'm a and great. Uh, b- if you're burning out at four in the afternoon because you're tired, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're just not as good as you can be. So, getting you know maybe getting that seven hours or six or whatever you need uh, of sleep is really uh, important.
0: Yeah, I'm a big.
1: I, I don't. I don't think there's much like people. I don't know how people can, like, take another position on that, but I don't need to rest.
0: I'm a you big know, believer in naps and, myself, and also, yeah.
1: I'm sorry, one other thing is that quite a few years ago, uh, there was a man named Oliver Dardick who invented, I think it was the uh, pacemaker or a particular heart pump, and he talked about um, what he called the wave theory, that for every moment of output we need a moment of rest. Not realistic that we can spend 50% of our time working hard, 50% of our time resting, but Jim Lair was the most brilliant sports psychologist ever probably, he took that into tennis, and he said, you know, the time in between points is more important in a lot of ways in us being good than the things that we're able to do during the point. And it's important that the 20 seconds, or at that time 30 seconds, are used to rest in some way, even though you're on the court. And it became a very, very famous training method for great tennis players to offset the stress, good stress,
0: with rest. Yeah, and it's a technique Players that...
1: today spend more time resting than ever.
0: It's a technique that long-distance long runners have learned uh, in recent years as well. Jeff Galloway, who was on this program, talks uh, and actually was a major proponent of you know changing your pace and resting as you undertake that long-distance run. We're, we're, we've gotten to the end of the program, uh, and, Bob, there's so many great lessons in the book. Uh, you have the mentors and anti-mentors chapter. You you talk about bringing the angels not to judges so that we're not too judgmental about ourselves. And you, you there's a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, Remember, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And, and many more great lessons I hope people will uh, uh, order online or get to a bookstore and, and, and find Live the Best Story of Your Life, A World Champion's Guide to Lasting Change, written by Bob Litwin. Uh, Bob, uh, you've done a great service with this book, and I'm certain uh, that uh, many, many people feel that you've uh, helped them uh, make really good changes in their life. So, thank you for taking the time Thanks, to right. be in the program. Hey,
1: can I take 15 seconds to say one more
0: thing? Uh, okay.
1: Uh, Really quick, the end of the book I I write, so you've written your old story, you've written your new story you've gotten on the path, you're living a new life, I hope that what you do next is to write another new story and that the first part of your new story is I'm a story writer
0: What a fitting uh, ending to this uh, program, Bob, again thank you so much for uh, being on the program
1: Thanks Ron, I appreciate it, great job
0: You've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on the radio next week.
4: Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby, the first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact passporttransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport.
2: Do you have a problem with the feeling of something stuck in your throat? Throat tightness, bad breath, a chronic cough, or frequent throat clearing? Maybe you have acid reflux, which is a common problem. Or maybe you have persistent ear pain, ear clogging, or ringing in the ears, but have been told you don't have ear infections. Perhaps it's because you grind your teeth at night. Sometimes the symptoms don't seem to be connected to an underlying problem. Sometimes the answer to a nagging symptom that doesn't go away or respond to treatments can be found by having your doctor give you the time to explain exactly what's going on in order to discover the root of the problem. This is Dr. George from Medicine on Call. I believe in taking the time to perform a thorough examination, discuss the findings, and answer your questions, because I believe that our patients are empowered when they're given all the treatment options. It's simple. When you understand the problem, you get to decide which treatment option works best for you. It's all about the power of choice, because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. For more information or to make an appointment, go to www.peachtreeentcenter.com. That's peachtreeentcenter.com. Peachtreeentcenter.com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare.
3: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com.